Hey, open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And we're, we're kind of just going to continue on the topic for the kids. You know, they, they were having courage facing giants. And, uh, you know, there's a story in the Bible, obviously, that is all about facing a giant, right? The story of David and Goliath. So I want to talk to you about that this morning, but I, I, I want you to think about this as you turn in your Bibles to this passage. I want you to think about this, that Israel in its history up until this point had already had some encounters with some giants, right? When they wandered in the wilderness and they were making their way to the promised land and Moses sent out the 12 spies and they took off, they went out and they viewed the, the promised land. Ten of them came back and said, man, there are giants over there. We don't want to go over there. There are giants. They're going to kill us if we go over there. Now, Joshua and Caleb were like, hey, let's go. We can take them out. My keys are up there by Mr. Ron. Um, so they had faced some giants. They went back. They didn't face those giants, right? They went back. They wandered in the wilderness for another 38 years, right, until the entire generation that didn't want to go died off. And then they went back. Do you know what they still had to do? They still had to face the giants. See, those giants didn't die. Those giants didn't disappear. And I want you guys to think of that in the context of your own life. There are giants that we all face. For the kids, we heard some things and heard some silly things. We heard some serious things. I mean, when you're afraid of the dark, you're afraid of the dark, right? When you have problems in school, which was ironic to hear Cannon say that, because Cannon is a straight-A student. He doesn't have an issue at school. But obviously, school may be a fear for him for whatever reason. Um, that's a legitimate fear for a child, right? But we have fears, too, as adults, whether it's loss of job, whether it's loss of friends, whether it's family problems, whether it's you name it. Some of us could have real simple ones that other people are going to think, man, that's silly, and then others, you're going to have some that people are going to be like, man, that's serious. And at some point in your life, you have to know how to kill that giant. You have to be able to beat the giant. The Israelites had to beat the giant to be able to obtain the promises of God. I believe we're going to read here. We're going to look at David's life and David facing Goliath and the boys. Right, We're going to call Goliath and the boys because Goliath had four brothers. So it's Goliath and the boys. Right, It's not just go kill Goliath. It's what if they, the others come out. And you'll find if you read past where we are that the others eventually were taken out too. But there was a giant in the way, a, a literal physical giant where some of us may not have those. But there's a giant in the way. The Bible says this, David said to Saul, Little ruddy-haired David. When I think of David, Ben, I, lots of times I, I look at Rawson. And I'm thinking, that's about probably what David really looked like. Now, Saul, understand, would have looked more like John. I mean, I'm, I'm not just picking. I, I'm being serious. Saul was heads and shoulders above everybody else in that time. That's why the Israelites picked Saul to be the king. Because a man of great stature. So when the new king was being anointed and they went to Jesse's house to anoint the new king and all his boys come out 
right? And Samuel's like, this has got to be the one. This has got to be the one. I mean, look at this guy. He's got biceps the size of my legs. This has got to be the one. God kept saying, no, 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 no. Don't you have another boy? He said, yeah, David, but you don't want David. I mean, David's just a bag of bones, right? David's just a, a kid. So this is the David that we're talking about here. A kid, a child, 16-year-old child who had been sent by his father to bring groceries to his brothers who were military men, okay? Military men, people who fought in war. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. How many people, let's just stop just for a second. We may get through everything, we may not. But how many people have been told, hey, you can't do this because ABC or XYZ, whichever part of the alphabet you're stuck in. How many people have been told you can't do this because, bam. Can you imagine the disciples were probably told that too, right? Jesus left. They all huddled up, 120 of them huddled up, hiding, because they were hiding, right? They're hiding. They're waiting on the promise, but they're hiding too. And I imagine the murmuring was going through there. Hey, we can't do this. Ain't none of us finished the third grade. None of us got theological degrees. How are we going to start a church? How are we going to take this gospel and spread it throughout the world? We can't do this. All these other people, they've been doing this stuff for years. Why can't we get Nicodemus? Right? What about Saul? Why, why can't we get Saul? See, people will do everything they can to prevent you from overcoming your giant. They will tell you, hey, you can't do that. And they'll give you 150 million reasons why you can't do that. Not we, but you. They become specific. Saul is saying, hey, you can't do that. Verse 34, David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. Struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Then all of a sudden, we get to the part, because this is what happens. When, when the people get, and they decide that, hey, maybe you can beat the giant. Hey, we're going to give you a shot to go. All of a sudden, you got to do it their way now, though. Right? We're going to find out that David's like, he's convinced the king. Hey, okay, maybe you can go. Hey, this, this guy, this kid's kind of spry. We're going to give him a shot, but... David, we want you to do it all our way now. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk. But he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached 
the Philistine. See, if it's your giant, if it's your giant that you've got to fight, your giant that you've got to overcome, and God's put it in your heart that, hey, you're the one to do this, you can't be taking everybody else's advice. You can't take everybody else's stuff that they've used to beat their giants because it doesn't work. You've got to use the stuff God gave you to beat your giants. You know, I, I'm constantly, and I'm reminded today as I look out, and it's like, man, where'd everybody go? But I, I'm reminded of this every time I look out. God told me, he said, I'll give you what you need for today. Right? He told you the same thing, because it, but he might have said it in this way for you. This is the day the Lord has made. So everything he's, I need to do today, he's given me today to accomplish what needs to be done. So how, how do you beat your giant? How do you kill your giants? We can go through here and we're going to find that David was a man of faith, great faith, right? A 16-year-old kid, he's going to go out and fight this man who's 10 foot tall. 10 foot tall. David was not a man of great stature. Many theologians believe David might have been 5'8". So he's headed out to fight a man who's almost twice his size. But he's got something, Goliath, thank God. He's got God. But in order for David to kill his giants, I want you to notice in your notes, number one, in order for David to kill his giants, he had to exhibit the right motives. See, God knows your heart. You can say, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you can have the wrong motives in your heart. And when you step out to kill a giant, if the wrong motives are in your heart, it may backfire on you. It's liable to kick back in your face, and you're going to be like, whoa, how did that happen? Because David wanted to go out, and he wanted to fight a giant, but he didn't want to do it for himself. Remember, the brothers questioned his motives. Hey, kid, what are you doing? Why are, you going to, why are you bragging? Why are you trying to get everyone to look at you? You guys ever been in a battle with a giant and someone says that to you? Hey, why are you doing this? You need everyone to look at you? you want to, I mean, what are you trying to get out of this? See, David had to know what his motives were in his heart to be able to display them, exhibit them, so other people might see them and not worry about the people that wanted to question them. When you guys are fighting your giants, they're your giants. They're not mine. And your motives have to be pure because God knows your heart. You don't know your own heart. The Bible says that. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God knows your heart. David had motives, right? What were David's motives? Real quick. What were David's motives to beat the giant, to go out and defend the giant? I believe number one, A, in your notes, is the glory of God. I think he had the biggest motive in, in the entire thing was he wanted to glorify God. Remember in the, in the speech he gave to Saul, everything was about, hey, they're defying the armies of the living God. Hey, this uncircumcised Philistine is defying God. In the King James it says, is there not a cause for someone to go out and kill this Philistine? See, David's cause, David's motive was because someone had defiled, def defamed God. Let me ask you this question. 
You love God? You ever been around someone who said GD? You ever just kept, kept your mouth shut? I have. We all have if we'll be honest. We, we, we just have. I'm not beating up on anyone. I'm just telling you, David was not the one. 16-year-old kid, he listened to this guy spewing stuff. And for the glory of God, not his glory, for the glory of God, he was prepared to go risk his own life. Guys, most of us, for the glory of God, won't even open our own mouth. Why do you want to beat giants in your life so you can get more money? Get a bigger house, drive a better car, provide better for your kids. I mean, why, why do we want to beat our giants? David wanted to beat the giant for the glory of God. Just to glorify God. No other reason. Just, you know, glorify God. Number two, I believe, and this is just kind of maybe a little bit of speculation, but I believe David's second motive was because he had been anointed the new king of Israel. Now, he wouldn't become king for several, several years, right? But he knew that God had anointed him king, and like any king, like a shepherd, he was going to defend his flock. Nobody else wanted to defend his flock. The king of Israel at that time did not want to defend his flock, but David, the newly anointed, newly appointed king by God himself, was prepared to step up and step out. Guys, a giant is no, the only thing a giant is in your life is a roadblock to prevent you from obtaining what God has for you. That's it. That's, it's to stall you to where God's plan will get stalled. God's plan is always going to prevail, right? But if, if the enemy can deter you, then maybe you'll miss somebody. Because of a roadblock in your life, because of a giant that you've allowed to step up and you're afraid to face. Most of us have giants, I believe. But what are you going to do about them? What are you going to do about your giant? What's your motive to defeat your giant? Do you have a motive? Hopefully it's to glorify God. But what's your, what's your motive? We have to have a motive in order to defeat God. Not God, I'm sorry. Uh, in, in order to defeat our giant. Um, and there are only two. There's only two. There's only two good ones. A desire for God's glory. If it's a desire for your own glory, you're wrong. I mean, you're just wrong. It's like that guy who tells you, oh, I'm humble. I've had guys come and talk to me, and they sit down in my office, and they're, they're on and on and on, and then they want to tell me how humble they are. I just kind of scratch my head, let them finish talking, and uh, let them walk out. Do you desire to glorify God in everything that you do? That's a question I think we all have to ask. Is our desire to glorify God in everything we do? Because if it is, when we come up against a giant, that'll be the first thing that pops into our head. Hey, I want to glorify God with this. I want to glorify God 
in this. Not, hey, I want people to look at me. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that I might be crucified so that other people may look and glorify God the Father. What is your motive? Number two, a desire for God's plan to be fulfilled in your life. Romans 8 and verse 28, For we know all things happen for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans eight twenty nine. what? To be conformed, transformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We want to beat a giant because we have a desire for God's will not to be stalled in our life, but to be fulfilled in our life. Because giants will freeze you. It's like stage fright. Right? Anyone not like to talk in front of people? Greg, you don't like talking in front of people? No? Let me give you a mic. Come on. Listen, a giant will stall us and prevent us from fulfilling God's plan in our life. I'll take you back. It's been nine years ago, ten years ago now, I guess. I was sitting in the office of First Baptist Marathon. I had gone to partner with my father-in-law, but I just wanted to help fix the building. I'd do the leg work. He could do the preaching work. I'm sitting in the office and I'm studying because we didn't have much of a place to live. And so I, I'm just sitting at the desk and I'm studying. He walks in on a Monday morning and Greg, he looked at me and he said, hey, by the way, God just told me you're preaching on Sunday. I said, hey, by the way, I think you need to listen to God again because I'm sure he didn't tell you. Now you say, well, you seem to do okay talking in front of people. Listen, I would have taken an F in high school and I was a straight A student. I graduated valedictorian. I would have taken an F in high school, had they forced the issue and made me stand up and do a public book report. I just would have. I mean, I, I'd failed. Now, if I could stand out there in the middle of all of you, and we could all just sit around and talk, I, I, can, be the, I can talk. I can be the center and talk. I don't mind. But it's something about the mic in your hand, huh, Garth? The, it's the mic. It's something. Everyone's looking at me, right, Greg? And you have these spheres. You have these giants. Listen, when you get up to speak, it's like, is my zipper undone? You think that's funny, but hey, that's a real fear, right? Especially when your wife says, hey, your zipper was undone all Sunday morning. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, well, how did you expect me to tell you? Just stand up and say, hey, your zipper's undone. I said, we need to come up with a sign, something, right? And that, this is when I used to have a real, you know, a regular pulpit, and uh, I said, we need to come up with a sign. And she said, okay, here's your sign. If your zipper is undone, I'm going to do this. A <laughs> couple weeks rocked on, right? And I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm, I'm getting ready to preach, and I got one, right? I'm getting ready. I look down at Joy and our, our friend that was at church with her, and they're like this. And I'm like, and, uh, man, that zipper wasn't undone. Listen. We, we have real giants. My father-in-law said, hey, you're going to preach. And I said, no, I'm not. It took all week for God to work through that for me for Sunday morning to come around and me say, okay. And some of you might be thinking, man, you still ain't killed that giant. But listen, 
You, we have real giants that will prevent us. God doesn't need us. So let's get that thing off. Let's throw it out. Those of us who think, oh, we're God's gift to God, God doesn't need us. But we have giants that come up in our lives that will prevent us from fulfilling the will of God in our life. We'll just freeze up and stop. I'm sure you guys got them. You got giants in your marriages. You got giants in raising your children. You got giants in your employment. You know, we got giants in church. There are things that will prevent us from fulfilling God's will in our lives. Number two, Roman numeral number two. You have to embrace the right methods. Now, let me, real quick, I believe the message stays the same. Jesus crucified, risen from the dead three days later, sits at the right hand of the Father. Whosoever call upon him can be saved. I believe all of that. I do believe sometimes the method in which we share the message changes. For instance, when Miss Lee was a child going to church, the preacher wore suits and ties. They sat on hard pews. Might have gotten cushions. They probably had a piano on one side and organ on the other. They had a choir that came up. They were all in robes. They had this thing that went across the front that I used to think, why in the world did they put an extra wall? But it was called a modesty rail so the women could cross their legs and didn't have to worry about it. That's a method. I'm okay with that. Methods change. That's not what I'm talking about here. I believe that we have a certain method by which we can overcome the giants in our life. I believe these methods stay the same. I don't think these methods ever change. You might want to disagree, and if you disagree, that's okay. But these methods, these five methods I want to give you, they, they stay the same. They're eternal. They'll never change. Number one, God is greater than your giant. Period. See, when we begin to think God is not big enough to help us beat anything, we got problems. When we begin to think we need God plus something else, we got problems. See, if you give me God and you take everything else, I'm going to win. God is big enough to overcome your giant. He's greater than any giant that you've ever faced. Matter of fact, he sent his one and only son to the earth so that he could live like us, sinless for 33 and a third years, tempted in all the same ways, faced all the same giants, and came out victorious on the other end. God is greater than any giant that we have, and we need to understand that. When we're facing them, God's greater than the giant of addiction. Now, we've got some people here that know that, right? Yet some of you have been through it. God's greater than your marriage problems. Some of you have been through it, some of you in it. But God is bigger than any marriage problem you've ever had. God's bigger than any illness you've ever had. You say, well, how's that true? I prayed for people and they died anyways. God still healed them. He just didn't heal them the way you thought he would. See, God is bigger than any giant you'll ever face. You just got to stop and remember who God is. You got to stop and remember who's got your back. It's the creator of the world. It's the one and only 
who spoke the world into existence. You know, for Satan, you can't, you can't face Satan by yourself. Just let me tell you. You want to battle Satan all by yourself, you're going to get your tail handed to you. Okay? Satan ain't no sissy. He's going to whip you. But here's what you got that he ain't. You have the one that created him on your side. God is greater than any giant you'll ever face. The God who worked then will still work now. What he's done in the past, he'll do in the future. See, we, we look at all these miracles of the Bible and we're like, well, God did this. But he doesn't. I, I even heard someone tell me the other day, well, I know God, God did some of this back in the Bible times, but he wouldn't do it now. Listen, God is still in the business of raising people from the dead. Amen. I mean, he's in that business. God's in the business of healing people. Do you know why most people don't get healed when you get prayed for? Because you don't believe it. Now, I'm not saying that God heals everybody that, that gets prayed for. And some of these people who believe they've got the power of healing, and they're like, oh, I can pray and people get healed, then go to the cancer hospitals. Let's heal the children. Right? I don't believe all of that, but I do believe that God who did it then will do it now. Now, if he chooses not to, guess what? He's still God. He's still God. He's not changed. It just means that that wasn't part of his plan. And it means that his thoughts are above your thoughts and his ways are above our ways. And we have to be okay with that. Lots of times we're not, but we have to be. Number three, you don't need new methods to defeat your giants. You don't need them. Did you hear just about every child, just about every child, even homework, some of the silly ones, right? I asked them, how did you, what did you learn this weekend that will help you beat that giant? Just about every child said what? Pray. Did you know prayer still works? Amen. I mean, prayer still works. Paul said to pray without ceasing. Now, I think you should pray all the time. Some of you need to open your eyes while you're driving, though. But you can pray all the time. Sometimes prayer isn't about communication either. Let me tell you, sometimes prayer is not about communicating. Sometimes prayer is just spending time with, just getting in the presence of God, just being there. Prayer still works. It ain't quit. Prayer works. You have to be able to communicate with headquarters, right? If you're in the military, you need marching orders. How do you get them? You go to headquarters. If you're not communicating at headquarters, I ask people all the time, you married? Yes. You talk to your husband or your wife? Yes. Doug, do you talk to Miss Sandy? Miss Sandy, do you talk to Doug? Begrudgingly most of the time, I understand. but uh, You talk to each other, why? Because you love each other, right? Sandy's a little show to sh slow to sh shake her head, but they love each other. I ask people, well, when, when do you talk to God? When do you, well, I pray before my meals. I, if I'm not too tired when I lay down to go to sleep, I pray. But that's not the only time you talk to your spouse. You love them, so you want to have a relationship with them. You communicate with them. You know what happens if you don't communicate with your spouse? Before you know it, there's a big gap. Then there's some problems that you didn't know were there. 
some problems that could have been worked out, but you didn't talk it out. So if you don't talk it out, it don't work it out, it blows out. That's what happens. See, the method by which we have to defeat our giants has to start with prayer. There's no other way. We have to start with prayer. We have to, secondly, use the right weapon. What's the right weapon? It's His Word. Now, you don't have to know it word for word. I don't, I, there's some guys that will tell you, oh, you've got to know it. I, I believe there's some people that just struggle with that. I'm okay with that. I think God knows your heart, but you have to be able to recall it. You have to be able to say, hey, I know he said in the Bible that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I, know, I may not know exactly where it's at, but I know it's here. I know that by his blood, I'll be an overcomer. I know it. I know that he saved me, and he said if he saved me, he'll sanctify me, and if he'll sanctify me, eventually he'll take me to heaven. I know that. I'm just, I'm believing that. But you have to know God's word. You can't say, well, the only word I get is when I come to church. You're anemic. I mean, you ain't getting nothing. If you ain't got a Bible, let me know. We'll get you a Bible. You say, well, I just don't understand. I'll find a version you do understand. Well, I can't read. Great. We have audible Bibles. I just ain't got time. Neither do I. But there are 168 hours in a, in a week, so surely I can find an hour or two somewhere. Right? There, there's no reason not to pick the Bible up unless you're just trying to make it easy for the FBI to identify you. Pick your Bible up and read it. Be able to battle your giants using the Word of God. You'll win every time. You'll win every time. Here's the third part of that, that the method that I believe does not ever fade, faith. Faith. You have to attack your giants in faith. John and Miss Connie ran the kitchen this weekend. They did a fabulous job. Um, they really did. They did a fabulous job. John began to stress out just a little bit, right? Friday, after that first meal got under his belt, he was a little better, right? Saturday came, he wasn't. He, he just, I mean, he, he, John makes a cup of coffee nervous. I mean, it's just what it is, okay? But he, he was worried. He just didn't want to mess it up. He, John, one thing I've figured out about John and Garth and maybe some of you others, but these two tell me all the time, they gave their word for something. They're going to make sure it comes through. They, they don't want it not to be. So in faith, John said, hey, I'm going to step out and I'll do the kitchen. Now listen, he didn't have near as much faith as the rest of us did because I didn't know John could cook. I'm thinking we're in trouble, right? There's a lot wrapped up in John. Connie had to help John kind of calm down, though, on Saturday morning. She hit him right in the face with a bottle of water. It kind of calmed him back down. But listen, guys, faith, sometimes you don't know how it's going to happen. Reminds me of a church in North Carolina I once read about. They built a brand-new sanctuary on the side of this mountain, right at the foot of this mountain, right? They built it, they had scheduled their grand opening, had these big, big hotshot preachers coming in, had big meals being catered in, and their final inspection was coming. 
It was coming on Thursday. They were having service on Sunday. So they come in, the inspector comes in, and he walks into this worship center, and, I mean, it's just gorgeous, right? Big chandeliers. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And he walks outside, and he gets into their parking lot, and he starts walking, and he's counting. The preacher's like, why are you counting parking spots? Well, for that sanctuary you got, you got 1,000 seats. For 1,000 seats, you got to have so many parking spots, and you're about 150 parking spots shy. And i gotta, I got to red tag you. I can't give you a, an occupancy permit. And the preacher's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I just can't do it. You ain't got enough parking spots. Preacher's kind of, yeah, we have this grand opening service, and I understand that, but I can't, just can't do it. He's like, okay. Well, what do we do? Well, you've got to add 150 more parking spots. Well, they had run out of property, and they run out of money. So this is about 10 o'clock in the morning. They went into the office, and the inspector left, and preacher got on his knees began to pray. He began to cry out to God, reminding God of the promises that he had made. Quoting Scripture, crying out to God, about 45 minutes later, his phone rang. He picked the phone up, and the guy on the other end introduced himself, and he said, you've never met me, but we're building a Walmart about five miles from you, and we've run out of fill dirt, and we see that you've got that big mountain on the back side of your property. And if it'd be okay with you, we'd like to bring some machinery up there, and we'd like to dig that out because we'd like to buy that dirt from you. And the preacher said, well... You know, I, I don't know. We got some other problems. He said, well, what if we do this? What if we dig that mountain out and we'll make you a parking lot out of it? And it won't cost you a penny. The preacher said, when can you do it? He said, I already got trucks on the way. They dug that mountain out, built a parking lot, called the inspector that evening. He was back out Friday morning. He gave them a green tag, said, you're good to go. Listen, that's stepping out in faith. The preacher didn't go in and cancel everything. He went in praying to God, believing that God was still going to fulfill the promise that he had given. See, today is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Is everything going to go your way? No, but it's all going to go his. All going to go his. And you know what? As long as it goes God's way, I'm still on the winning side. As long as it's his way, I'm still on the winning side. Which one did I give you? Number three. Number four. God did not save you to let you fall at the hand of your giant. God didn't save you to turn around and leave you. God saved you for a purpose. He has a plan. And your giant's not the one that's going to take it out. So when something rises up, just don't sit down. Do what that preacher did. Hit your knees, begin to pray. Trusting in faith that God's going to come through. Now listen, it may not come through the way you think. You ever prayed for a loved one to get better and they go on to heaven? And you know what? You think, man, that wasn't what I was praying for. We were praying for healing. They were healed. The ultimate healing. You ever prayed for provision? 
I was praying for provision for something. And uh, so last Friday, not, not Friday, just past the Friday before, uh, I had put this out there a couple days before that, praying for provision uh, for a need that we have. Just ask people to join us. And uh, I'm praying for it. I went to lunch with David Peace. And uh, David's a good friend of mine. And um, so I went to lunch, and I was going to do some pressure washing for him. You are right. And uh, so I said, well, let's go look and see what, you know, what I need to do for you. And I went and looked, and here's this deck. It was all tore apart. And I, we walked back to talk to the guy that had been, project, had been put in charge, project manager of this, this deck. And before I left, somehow he had shifted that project manager thing to me and said, there you go. Now, every time I've seen this guy this week, he says, well, you prayed for provision. You prayed for provision. See, sometimes it doesn't come the way you think it should, but God will send it his way, right? And listen, it's been a long week. But you know what? I've had the opportunity to talk with some guys that I wouldn't have had. I've had the opportunity to share Jesus with some people that I wouldn't have had. Because God, yes, he's providing, but he also wanted me to continue to push. He wanted me to continue to do something for him. So God didn't save me just to let some giant beat me. But the way he decides to defeat that giant may not be the way I decide I want it done. But, hey, he's a lot smarter than I am. We just need to trust what he's doing. Number five, giants are placed in our life to grow us in the Lord. Giants are placed in our lives to grow us in the Lord. Think about it. I had a giant growing up. It was called foster care. I've never wanted to trade that with anybody. Because that's who I am. I was talking with John the other day in his office, and somehow we got on this conversation. And John made a similar statement. He said, you know, I've been through a lot in my life. I've made a lot of dumb choices that landed me in a lot of spots that I didn't want to be. But I've never once wanted to go back and change all that because it is who I am today. See, giants are placed in your life to help you grow, not to stop you in your tracks, but to help us grow with the Lord. Your faith is increased when you face a giant. David had great faith already, didn't he? He'd beaten lions and bears. He'd been anointed king, but hey, here's faith. Here's faith, and I believe this. Here's faith. He picked up five rocks. Why? Because he thought he was going to miss? No, because he knew Goliath had four brothers, and he was going to kill all five of them if he needed to. And he marched down the side of that, that hill to face a 10-foot giant who mocked him, mocked God. And he put that first stone in the sling and he began to swing it. The whole time, I guarantee you, he's saying, we don't have it recorded, but I guarantee you, he's saying, Lord, guide the stone. Here it goes, Lord, guide the stone. He let it fly. Pop. Drop the giant. Do you know what? If we'll use God's word and we'll trust in God the way David trusted in God, it only take you one time to drop your giant. I don't care what giant you're facing. Number three in your notes, Roman numeral, numeral number three. 
David expected the miracle. He didn't go down the hillside hoping. He stepped out expecting. You guys expect God to show up? Are you expecting God to help you defeat your demons, your giants? Because if you're not expecting him to do it, the Bible says that you're like a a man that looks in the mirror and walks away and then forgets his reflection. You're, You're unwavering. You're unsteady. Are you expecting God to come through with what he said? I'm not saying name it and claim it. I don't believe that. But are you expecting God to show up and let it be his way, whatever it is? Whatever his will is, I'm good. Let's do it. David stepped out expecting God to provide. He wasn't sure how, but he figured he'd let that first stone fly. Now, he could have flung it. It could have hit Goliath in the pinky toe, and Goliath could have fallen over and hit his head on a rock and died. But you know what? David didn't care. He was expecting God to do something with it. Most of us won't face our giants. Most of us won't face our giants for fear of what other people think. We have giants in our life because of the fear of what other people think. But we won't face them because of the fear of what other people think. We don't even talk about our giants. Because someone might think badly about us. We'll talk about a lot of stuff, but we don't want to talk about our giant because they might think bad about us. But do you realize that person that you're afraid to talk to about your giant may be that person that God's put in your life to help you defeat your giant? What if David had been afraid to talk to Saul? He might not have gotten permission to go down, the, go down the field and kill Goliath. The whole story could have read differently then, right? I have one statement I want to make. I want you guys to write this statement down. Faith will take that which is over your head and will put it under your feet. Faith will take that which is over your head and put it under your feet. That's biblical. Goliath was 10 feet tall. Faith guided the rock, hit Goliath in the face, dropped him. The next scene we have is David, the 16-year-old, ruddy-haired kid, standing atop of Goliath with his sword to cut his head off. See, Goliath, his giant, was above him when it began. But because of faith, God put his giant underneath his feet. So what are you doing this week? What are your giants that you're facing this week? Because your faith will allow that giant to be taken down. If you'll do like David did. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this day. And God, we thank you for VBS. God, we thank you for the children. We thank you for the parents who gave us the kids. God, we thank you for the workers who gave of their time to be here. Father, for those who gave of their resources to, Father, help fund it, we thank you for them. 
Father, we understand that much like the kids, and Father, as we talk to them about courage this weekend, Father, we have to have the courage to face our giants. God, we understand that you love us. We understand that you allow giants to come up in our life for a purpose. So, God, I pray that you'll give us that courage to face those giants. God, I think of the many people that are in here today, Father, who might be hurting because of one reason or another. Father, who have giants in their lives, in their marriages, in their families. God, I pray right now, Father, that they would become victorious over those giants by remembering the promises that you've given to them in your word. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who died upon the cross for our sins, Father, so that we might be able to face the giant of sin and overcome it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, Father, we thank you. Pray that you give us a good week. We pray for all the children, Father, as they prepare for school in just the next couple weeks. God, we pray that you give them a great time. And Father, send them out to be lights for you. And Father, let us as the adults remember that everything we say and do, Father, they're watching. And God, we can help shape their lives, whether it's in a positive manner or in a negative manner, by, Father, what we say or what we do. God, help us to face our giants for you. It's in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.